like, is it possible for someone to be so angry, but also so excited at the same time? Like, is this a feeling? Welcome back, everybody, to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I... I, I'm not sure what I signed up for when we got to <laughs> these episodes here. What a roller coaster. <laughs> right. We're watching Legend of Korra and, uh, we, we have gotten up to episode five, the spirit of competition. These two episodes, five and six really could not be any more different. And unfortunately we have to go through five in order to get to six, so right, here yeah. we are there's there's no putting it off here we are uh, <laughs> <Let's do it. laughs> episode five the spirit of competition uh written by michael dante di martino and brian knetzko directed by joaquin dos santos and ki hyun ryu animated by studio mirror and the episode aired on may 5th 2012 the IMDb rating for the Spirit of Competition is not important because it's 7.7 .7 out of 10. Take us <laughs> over with some fun facts, man. <laughs> Just breeze over that. Um, so we actually have a couple of fun facts for this episode, which is surprising. Um, the Pro Bending Tournament sponsor, Flameo Instant Noodles, is an homage to, to Aang's catchphrase from when he was inside the Fire Nation. I, I'm sure you picked up on that. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Flameo, <laughs> instant noodles. <laughs> I love that they're like little in jokes for Avatar fans and Legend of Korra. Um, mm -hmm. and the second fun fact is in the scene where Bolin and Korra are in the restaurant eating, Tano refers to Korra as the Avatar. This is likely a reference to the live action Last Airbender movie where they pronounce the names differently. And yeah, <laughs> Aang is referred to as the Avatar in the live <laughs> my name action. Is version. A, my name is Ong. I'm, I'm the, the Avatar. Avatar. <laughs> it. oh my god it's so bad i love that like they just constantly pick fun or like make fun of the live action version like in legend of Korra. it's it's great please, um, please for sake of catharsis please be sure to keep pointing out moments when they do that it's a cleansing it's a cleansing feeling yes um our third fun fact is that so this is kind of a long one during the episode's production, DiMartino and Kanietsko received a note from the network admonishing them for Bolin's in I can never say this word, inebriated? Yeah, inebriated, basically drunk behavior in the noodle restaurant. The creator's response was to forward them instances in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie where the titular character engaged in similar conduct. Basically the goofy goober scene where he gets drunk off of ice cream. Um, mm. Ultimately, Bolin's scene was kept in the episode. Honestly, good on them. <laughs> <laughs> that is so hypocritical. And I'm glad that they called it out. Be like, um, look at this actual kids movie that you made where SpongeBob is so clearly drunk and hungover. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the standards have to be equal there. So good on them to defend it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then our, I thought you would find this very funny. Um, <laughs> the final fun fact is the man who attempted to greet Mako outside the pro bending arena was voiced by co-executive producer Joaquin DeSantos in an uncredited role. The creators have referred to this man as Mako's only fan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he has two. <laughs> <laughs> right hey Mako. <laughs> hey. <laughs> that's great yeah i love that <laughs> just little joke it's so funny and i had no idea that i didn't know about that until i read that i was like oh my god todd would find that so funny um 
Yeah, that so, is uh, hilarious. Yeah, so uh, I guess that, that kind of leads directly into the main, like, let's talk about the episode. <laughs> do we have to? Do we have to? Yes. Okay, I'm going to preface this in general. I'm going to preface this. Mm-hmm. The episode's not great. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> but it's not great for a very very particular reason and i'm going to give my own anecdote on this there are a lot of movies different types of movies that i like i like horror movies i for the record don't like gore porn movies mm-hmm. like like give me a plot i don't want to just see people right. die 15 million really graphic you don't want to watch saw yeah <laughs> i don't want to watch saw no, no no i don't um i i enjoy science fiction I enjoy fantasy of all ranges of fantasy, from dark fantasy and grim dark all the way to high fantasy. I enjoy comedy movies. I enjoy idiot comedy buddy movies. Like I, I enjoy all kinds of things in all kinds of doses. You know, murder mystery, suspense movies, action movies. I really do. But I have a really hard time getting behind romance movies. Like where where the plot of the movie is a love story and it's because love stories in order to create mm-hmm. drama in them have to get really really annoying and frustrating there's the the, the miscommunication trope even among book readers who enjoy like books about romances i don't mean romance novels you know what i mean when i say that but like love story books they get really frustrated they're like the miscommunication trope is nothing but frustrating for the reader because there's no reason for it to be happening like you walk a very fine line with love stories is my point and this episode does not walk that line very finely it is an elephant on a tightrope it's not great it's it's (laughs) and this is why i ship koranamon there's no drama okay 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 but but hold on though but mako did nothing wrong hashtag mako did nothing wrong (laughs) mako did nothing wrong no okay in in this episode no Okay, but, fine, but, uh, but we're in this episode. I, I don't care about future episodes. This is where we're at right now. Okay. Yes. So, okay. So taking us through the episode, because the episode is... So... <laughs> I'm not going to be I'm not gonna be okay during this. I'm most warning you <laughs> all right okay. now. And, I, and I've had way too much caffeine to be dealing with this right now. So, <laughs> so the beginning of the episode, Cora, you know, is getting relationship advice from like 10 year old girls and then she gets and then she gets bad advice from the from tenzin's wife honestly mm-hmm. like the two little girls were giving her better advice she should have <laughs> thrown herself into a volcano or what was the other one that they did oh god i can't even remember it's like something magical they did something with, yeah like fairy they did something with magic yeah. so yeah either throw yourself in a volcano or use magic like one or the other but do not do what she gave her the advice to do which is go straight after him and tell him how you feel <laughs> there needed to be a little bit of padding on that because i think cora like literally just took only that piece of the advice and just went forward just right and needless to say it's a train wreck because immediately she goes to mako and is like they were raped to be together. They were destined for each other. And Mako's like, please, no, I have a girlfriend. 
And right. she's like, but but I think I think that we would be great. Let's let's do this. And he's like, please God, no. <laughs> please God, no. I don't want to. I don't want to date the titular character of the show. That's like a <laughs> reputation killer right there. <laughs> right. My man Mako's emotional intelligence is real high. Like he's got the Big Brother vibes down. Like he's he's all good. So then then what happens? is that Bolin immediately asks her out, having no idea what's just happened, which, I mean, is just his personality. I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> right, he's very clueless. And then, so he asks her out in a similarly forward way, which, good on my man's Bolin for, like, really taking the initiative here and <laughs> grabbing whatever you call in the Avatar universe by the horns, if it's not a bull, <laughs> right. I don't know. The, uh, the bulldog fish by the horns, I don't know if you know. <laughs> And she says yes. And we know that it's not done, like, to spite Mako. It's done, Mm -hmm. if anything, it's to get over the pain of the rejection. Right. Which, that in and of itself, I don't even know if that's right or wrong. Right. Because I think... like a rebound. (laughs) Well, because he's, yeah, it really is like a rebound. Because on the one hand, you could say that Korra was doing it, like, good-naturedly... Because she wanted to go out and have a good time with him. So she was giving him a chance. Mm-hmm. But like at the same time, it's really bad because it's really two-faced. Because then she's still pursuing Mako to try to get him to admit he has feelings for her. When right. she's already started dating his brother, Bolin. And Bolin's like all focused on her. Like he's all about it. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's... It's not handled very well. It burns. It burns. It burns like my, as precious. My, my kidneys hurt from this episode. <laughs> I had to drink so much water to cleanse this episode oh my from God. my system. Yeah. It was bad. It's... <sighs> yeah. Um, so for me, even back in the day when the episode first came out, you know, I was in high school. Um, I felt, or I felt that uh, his proposal to her to like go out with him for dinner was incredibly cringy but that's kind of accurate for teenagers um like um but i will say that when he's not trying because that's the thing he felt i felt like he was trying too hard to like impress her yeah. get her to go out with him but yeah. when he's not trying too hard when he's literally just being himself i actually think that they're really cute together like mm-hmm if he would just tone down the chauvinistic side of himself, because, you know, he does have a bit of an ego. He's a, basically a celebrity. Um, but, like, when he's just being his goofy self with Cora, I think that it really works. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, like, when they're having their little dinner date and they're bonding over, you know, how they like the same kind of food and, like, they're having a burping contest. Like, that's cute. Like, yeah, I can get into it's great. that. Um, but, uh or when they're sightseeing and all that, like, you know, they do kind of a montage date. And and then she has then, to go and ruin it. The first chance she gets, she ruins she it. She it. <laughs> she finds Mako and is like, <laughs> yeah. so I still, I still um, have feelings for you and I know you have feelings for me too. And he's like, please, God, you're, I, I feel like you're just dating my brother to like, you know, get, get back, back at me or something. Yeah. And then <laughs> she pulls this. You know, uh, Mako's like, oh, get over yourself. Like, I have a girlfriend. And she's like, yeah, but when you're with her, you're thinking of me, aren't you? And I'm like, Cora, Cora, no. It's the <laughs> it's <so> worst. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. Oh, man. 
Like the toxicity yeah, levels um, were so <laughs> high. No. Hashtag gaslight girl boss. Yeah, oh, just be god avatar. Just, <laughs> just Again, no. this is not Korra at her best. Um, no, but, no, this, no. You know, I, I forgive it because, again, they're teenagers and Korra, you have to remember the context of Korra's character at this point. She's only been out in the real world for a couple months. We talked about this in the oh, last yeah. episode. So she probably has never in her life flirted with or had any interest in anyone because she's been in a compound surrounded by adults and people that are basically teachers or parental figures to her. So yeah. like, this is a new thing for her. And so that's why I'm more forgiving. It's yeah. bad, why, but like- it doesn't, ex <laughs> it doesn't excuse it, but it explains it. But like, right. look, come on now, we, we admittedly, we like, and I do, and I like Korra enough to write off a whole bunch of like misdeeds. But like this, <laughs> you can't, you can't chalk this up to like childlike naivety to be like, yeah, but when you're with her, I know you're thinking about me. And like, that, that's a, like, you that's not for being You my name in sheltered. bed, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> when so you say bad. her name you say mine <laughs> you know? yeah no um yeah it's, you it's, know they you know i <laughs> you know i can bend every element <laughs> except <laughs> yeah no it's it no bueno and then to top off that really cringy terribleness um I, I think it's not not in that scene but in a later scene um you know they after they've basically lost all their matches they have like one match left to go and they're all like super beaten mm -hmm. down about it um they go and have another chat and mako's all like you know as, see this is where i'm like i'm not saying mako was completely like wronged in this scene but <laughs> there's a but he literally is the one that starts the conversation with you know as much as you make me crazy i also think you're pretty amazing and then Korra's like, so you do like me? And he says, yes, okay. but I'm with Asami. It's complicated. And it's confusing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So I'm like, he's leading her on, but also like she is the aggressor in the scene in terms of like the actual okay. kissing and all that. Okay. I, okay. I'm going to defend my man Mako here because <laughs> I've, had a I've had a lot of difficult conversations with people in relationships over the years. I've had plenty of unrequited love situations that I've had to muddle through, like lots of them. But mm -hmm. it's a difficult conversation to have when you want to express to somebody what admittedly is a complex set of emotions. He does like her, and he's trying to let her down easy. And I don't really feel like what he said let her on because she's the one who pushed about it. Like, it, like he's the one trying to draw it back to, look, you make me crazy, but I'm trying to pass things up. I think you're a great person. I think you're amazing. Because he mm -hmm. does. And the thing that I give Mako giant points for is transparency not just honesty but transparency mm -hmm. he's willing to not only come forward be a stand-up guy he initiates the conversation to patch things up with her and he's a stand-up guy enough to say look i'm going to put my own ego aside and admit that our relationship the, the, the closeness that you and i have does make it complicated with my girlfriend he's he's a stand-up guy enough to say that but she's the one who turns it around and is like so you do have feelings for me it's like well, no and then when he's in the middle of explaining it she sexually assaults the man like right on the face she's like she just lunges <laughs> for him like a piranha yeah it's uh it's not great <laughs> and okay i should i should rephrase my statement 
um, leading her on was probably not the right phrase. I think he's giving mixed signals. That's what it is. He should have. Now, what he should have done, and this we can chalk up to immaturity, though, is when she pushes back, he doesn't shut it down. He doesn't say, mm. oh, no, hard no. He does give in, trying to be gentle and trying to be nice, which is very easy. Like, we want to patch things up. He's coming in with a remedial frame of mind. He's not trying to play hard and put up a wall. He, again, he's too transparent for his own good, but I give it to right. you, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, you know, I think that the communication was not there and he wasn't making it clear that he was that he was basically rejecting her in her eyes at least um and that's why she went for it and it's like no honey no cora <laughs> oh cora no, no. <laughs> so, down <yeah>. bessie <laughs> <laughs> right um but and then to top all that off Poor Bolin is, of course, oh, there, standing in the corner, watching as it happens. And he just, like, has with a bouquet of flowers for you her. You know what, though? I'm glad it wasn't a Sami. I was, I was <laughs> about to flip my entire monitor watching this episode if it was a Sami. <laughs> Yeah. The Legend of Korra ends today. <laughs> what if, no, imagine if it was Asami and Bolin, and they just both run off together, and they're like, you know what? We we could be together. It's what if it was feeling. Bolin and Asami coming up to confess that they had been seeing each other behind oh both Korra and Mako's back? Oh, God. And then they just become a Not giant... After she's after she got done running him over with her moped, she turned the corner and ran over <laughs> Bolin, too. Oh, my God. Got both the bending brothers under my belt. <laughs> <laughs> so horrible. Yeah. Oh God. It's uh, uh re reworking yeah. the script <laughs> Alabama edition. Oh geez. Um yeah, no, it's there's not really anything to say other than it's not great. And I don't really know how you could have fixed it aside from just removing it entirely. Like honestly, this episode yeah. could have been cut like honestly <laughs> yeah um, talk about filler the this episode is like <laughs> why why is this here well this is really the first break in like the main story that's why it's so mm -hmm. weird because up to this point you know we're on episode was this five yeah five mm -hmm. um and for the first four episodes the story is pretty tightly packed like it, it all flows together it's all you know in sequence but then you get this weird like just filler episode romantic bullshit and you're just like why <laughs> why 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 <laughs> it's yeah. unnecessary there's so much more that you could have done with this episode like outside of the romantic stuff like building up the equalist or you know just just anything exploring tenzin and lynn's relationship which we should probably talk about because that was <laughs> that was a fun that was one of the fun things that came from this episode was the big reveal uh, this, that, uh, that that came yeah, um, yeah. So, okay, so, it goes into it more in the next episode, but they do allude to it right at the start. At the right at the start, because yeah, right yeah. at the start, because right at the start, uh, Tenzin's wife uh, says how um, that Tenzin was in love with somebody else at the time, and how mm -hmm. she had to come to him and confess her love to kind of you know pull him to her. I guess you could right. say the the details on that still being a little vague at this point. Um, <laughs> right, but. I mean, the fact of the matter is that I feel like they were setting up this relationship stuff and they did have this sort of triangle going on. In fact, mm -hmm. they had a literal triangle going on of all them with their heads together, you know, doing right. the team huddle. And mm -hmm. that was very, very funny, very clever love triangle stuff there. <laughs> 
but like they had to resolve it because it was spinning its wheels like it was about to lose all its traction so they had to resolve it in some way is she gonna Mm -hmm. go out with mako is she gonna go with bolin bolin's flirting with her and asking her on every episode it's getting a little bit old like it's about to get stale so like good timing on resolving this but man devoting an entire episode to like just this mess (laughs) it's so funny that you say it's resolved it's not resolved (laughs) oh i'm sure i'm sure because like you you taught you you've been intimating there's more stuff with mako and her and and like that but like it was time for them to do something with it you know yeah to address the elephant in the room (laughs) but but did they have to do this (laughs) no no they did not (laughs) literally that's one of the biggest like this episode in particular but just the love triangle quadruple whatever um that's going on between the main characters is one of the biggest things holding the first season back in my opinion like everything else is pretty top notch but there you do have this giant and here's the thing in avatar the romance was very much a background thing like you would have maybe one or two episodes focusing on more romantic aspects like the cave of two lovers um but there was more than just the romance happening in those episodes you know what i mean it was basically like the b plot this it's the a plot and everything else is the b plot but the a plot is so poorly done that you're like why (laughs) you know um and so it's just yeah i mm, (laughs) not a fan um and even as a teenager watching it for the first time i did not ship any of them i didn't ship mako and bolin or (laughs) mako and bolin i didn't ship (laughs) the legend of alabama (laughs) yes i didn't ship mako and cora i didn't ship bolin and cora or like you know asami and mako any of them um just because like i didn't care i was like i don't i'm not here for romance i'm here for like the story for the villains for the action like you know the romance should be the last thing that they had focused on but in this Mm -hmm. it's like front and center and it's just it's not good (laughs) cora has some rough character flaws but i feel like in this episode it almost seems so unnecessary to have her do what she does there's like she's a flawed character she's an impetuous and overly aggressive character but for her to behave the way she does i would go dare to say it almost seems like it's out of character it's just so Mm -hmm. out there it's i don't know it's just it's very very forced thank you that's a good way to say it it's very forced (laughs) it's a yeah a very it's a rare instance of I think that you're right Cora is out of character because like sure she may be very awkward and asking Mako out but then to pursue him the way that she does and to say the things that she does to him after he rejects her it's like no like she would she okay. would back off I got the moment that I'm thinking of immediately where exactly what you're saying exactly what we're talking about where it's the most jarring and obvious it's where she's on the mm-hmm. pier and she's moping and she looks crestfallen and the instant that he starts explaining how he feels she goes from like this really sad expression to like so you do like me and it's like whoa wait whoa 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 whoa, 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 whoa. the emotional <laughs> pivot there is like 270 degrees like <laughs> Like right? she yeah, does almost a complete turnaround and then some. I'm like, uh, that wasn't the emotional the state point. we saw you in <laughs> exactly a second and a half earlier. That's yeah, what happened like, there. Her hopes got so high, 
um yeah it's it's not great <laughs> yeah i just could keep yeah, saying that I, no and there's not really unfortunately there's not much more to say about the episode to be honest with you like actually i do have some things because while the main bulk of the story is not good because it's the romance stuff i actually think that the b stuff like the b tier stuff is actually pretty good um i like that one of my favorite scenes between Mako and Bolin, actually two of my favorite scenes between Mako and Bolin, uh, just as brothers, are in these episodes, um, or in this episode. The first one when they're, he, when Bolin is like sulking in the noodle bar, drunk, clearly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mako goes in, it's like early in the morning and he's been sleeping over at, at that place. And just the dialogue between them is so funny. And so like naturally- It is so abs- funny. It feels exactly like how brothers that, you know, have been in a fight would talk to each other when they're trying to reconvene, you know, and reconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just eventually <laughs> just like picking him up and putting him over his shoulder. <laughs> You're a bad idea. <laughs> it's actually really cute. <laughs> I think that Mako and Bolin together have really good chemistry, like brotherly yeah. chemistry. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And so and then the second scene is very small, but it actually is probably my favorite scene in the episode. Um, and it's after Mako and Bolin have both been knocked out of the ring. When um, they're on the, the elevator going back up, right? Yep. 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 And, you know, they're at this point, they're at their lowest low. Like they are about to lose the game and Mo- or, uh, Bolin is hurt. He got his shoulder hit and they just kind of stand there and they're just gently talking to each other. Like, you know, I'm so sorry. And, you know, I, I didn't want this to happen. I didn't want this to come between us. Like, we're going to work this out. We always do. And then just like ending it with girls, right? I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> like that is such a good scene, and I'm like, why is it in this right, bad episode? Right, because they're like, are we? We're gonna <laughs> uh, be okay, you know? Yeah. Because he goes to him and he's like, "We're gonna be okay, right?" It's like, well, of course we're gonna be okay. We're brothers. Like, I I love that. This is assumption that they're like, yeah, that was kind of rough, but hey, back to normal, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's it's really really good scene. Um, again, I just wish it wasn't a better episode and with a better context put to it. Um, yeah. But uh, well, yeah. So I love that stuff. And um, there's an introduction of a, a minor character, but a character that I actually really like, um, Tano, who is the leader of the Wolf Bat Gang. <clears throat> excuse mm, me, the mm-hmm. Pro Bending Team, <laughs> the Pretty Boy, and oh my God, this character. <laughs> This character has like a similar vibe to the Onceler. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you even know like what that means, but <laughs> people that watched the Lorax and were on Tum- or, uh, Tumblr in 2012, you know what I mean. He's like the <laughs> Tumblr sexy man. Like, he is made to get like he's made to be a minor character, but that has so many fans for no reason. <laughs> like, because. I don't know. It's just, but I really like him. Not because like, I think, oh, he's a Tumblr sexy man, but because he's voiced by Rami Malek. Fun fact. And I thought I recognized the voice from somewhere. Yeah. I was like, that makes perfect sense. Yep. And uh, I love the like, weirdly sexual tension that he has with Cora in the diner scene. Like, just like, if I could show you some private lessons, if you want, she's like, excuse me. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I love, I love their, their scenes together. It's so fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, so overall, I mean, there's not really much else to say about this episode. I think we covered most of the the things I wanted to talk about. Um, what would you rank this episode? Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm honestly at the bottom of my wits end with this one here. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this episode a straight up two out of 10. Oh my God. Is that the yeah, lowest you've th- given any ranking? Anything. <laughs> yeah. You can just tear this one out of the episode guide and like throw it away. The, the two points it gets is one for, for the pretty boy, because that was great. And the two is for the brother, the brother, the brother stuff with like the, the yeah. two of them with Himako and Bolin because that's like the good the good parts of the episode the whole story overall and every other character just like go away yeah just... <laughs> go away what if I want yeah. to forget this episode ever happened which admittedly the next one does but what's your rating what's your rating on this <laughs> the great divide who it makes the great divide look like a masterpiece <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah no um i'm not gonna go nearly that low because while it is very bad like i honestly there are in my opinion there are worse episodes of legend of Korra, especially in season two. Oh my god don't tell me that no no, no. <laughs> they're worse for much different reasons like it's not okay. romantic stuff <clears throat> uh-huh okay but, uh, yeah season two has got some real stinkers unfortunately but um so i would put this probably I'll give it a five out of 10. Like it's right in the middle. It's not so awful that I like, I'm like, Oh God, like you could cut it out, but it's, but for me, I think that there are worse just knowing what I know of what comes up. So um, yeah, I'll go five out of 10. I really love the scenes with Mako and Bolin and I love Tano. I've reserved myself a spot between two and zero. <laughs> like they'll play somewhere in there. Okay. okay. I, I love to, I'm not even go all the way down to, to, to ground right. zero here. Oh gosh. All right. Well, I guess with that out of the way, it's pretty quick. Um, we'll yeah. Now we can get episode. Yeah. Here we go. So episode six. <laughs> Whoo boy. Am I glad that's over with episode six. <laughs> And the winner is, it's written by uh, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konetsko, directed by Joaquim Dos Santos and Kihyun Ryu, animated by Studio Mirror, and the episode aired May 12th, 2012. The IMDb rating of And the Winner Is, is woo, a whopping 8.8 out of 10. The highest rated episode thus far, which is, is interesting. It, really? it is. Yeah, because most of the episodes um, that we've, I think they all have been like low eights, like 8.1, 8.2, but nothing has been this high. So, um, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> fun facts. Um, our first fun fact is that the radio announcement that gets made while the fire ferrets were practicing was brought to them by Cabbage Corps. This is probably a nod to the running gag, the Cabbage Man from the original series, Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm sure you caught so, on to that as well. So I did immediately. I'm so glad to see my, <laughs> my man's cabbages. found success. His, well, right. Think about it. The man is a struggling entrepreneur whose business is constantly vandalized and victimized by greater global conflicts. And yet he, he manages to overcome. It is the struggle of the everyman. It is the triumph of the entrepreneur mm. in a crushing capitalist oppressed system. So He's just a man it, trying to make his way in the universe. <laughs> yes i'm just a simple man trying to sell cabbages in the universe yeah he's yeah. And, and he and ultimately he triumphs and you know what good for him i'm glad to see he's doing well for himself after all this time good for her <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um our next fun fact and this one's kind of a long one too why i just realized there are two spongebob fun facts love that 
Um, during the original airing of this, I remember this, during the original airing of this episode, an up next banner of Spongebob laughing shows up during the scene where Cora is falling, making it look like he was laughing at her misery. This inspired an internet <laughs> meme called Inappropriate Timing Spongebob, in which the banner is inserted into emotionally inappropriate moments from other works. <laughs> I have never heard of this one. You can look it up. Look up Cora falling, Spongebob laughing, and it'll be like the first thing that pops up. It has millions millions of views it's oh, so funny my God. <laughs> i remember this happening oh no that's amazing <laughs> they had to have done that on purpose oh my gosh i've seen the compilation oh. <laughs> i see the one with the dead bugs skeleton from like no. the live smoky skeleton there's one this one with Aang after he's struck by a lightning. <laughs> it's awful. It's Lord. so... Oh, there's one of Dumbledore. <laughs> Not Dumbledore. This is terrible. So good, though. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, I feel so much Glad better after, wa- after after watching episode five. Cora, Cora taketh and, <laughs> and Cora giveth. Give bestoweth. Um, yes. And then our final fun fact is that during the pro bending tournament's final match, three enthusiastic fans can be seen in the crowd dressed as Cora, Mako, and Bolin. This is most likely a shout out to the real life fans who cosplay as their favorite characters. Hell yeah. It's me I out in the it. crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in this episode and I don't like it. <laughs> exactly. I thought it was so great. I actually paused the episode to like take in the cosplay there. It was so funny. <laughs> right. All right, so what do you think of this episode? Much better, eh? <laughs> much, 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 much better. Much better. Um, so, so first of all, we love Mako. I love Mako. <laughs> you love Mako. My man's hashtag Mako did nothing wrong. And uh, <laughs> I love, I really love how when they come in on the council session about the everything getting canceled and, and they kind of burst in on everybody well they don't kind of they extremely burst in cora yeah. in particular she has a tendency for kicking doors like real I quick know, question do 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 in the water tribe do doors not have handles do you just kick them open and they just kind of swing <laughs> shut behind you i'm just really curious because like i i don't think i've ever seen her use a doorknob in six <laughs> <No>. episodes <laughs> well actually it's funny because like now that I'm thinking about it, oh, wait. I don't even think we, we've seen her use a doorknob before. She dated Bolin. Oh, wow, <sighs> so mean. <laughs> you did my man dirty. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, now that I'm thinking about it, since she grew up in the Southern Water Tribe, which is obviously the poorer quote unquote of the two tribes, mm-hmm. like she probably didn't have like actual doors. She probably had like animal skin flaps like, right, like curtains of, or yeah, yeah 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 exactly to like cover up the huts or whatever so maybe yeah maybe there's a reason why she does that she doesn't know how to open doors <laughs> imagine be able to like twist the elements to your will but like you're there with a doorknob like trying to like you're, you're using two hands like you eventually it's like it's literally... a plastic wrap like it's a craft single you can't get up but she's just biting it with her teeth trying to turn it <laughs> It's literally like the aliens and signs, how they can like master spacecraft and time travel, but they can't get through a wooden door. <laughs> Cora. Cora's an alien. 
god. It would so it would make sense. It would make sense. She's just trying to figure out how human behavior works. Yes. She's just like it explains so much about the last episode. It really does. Right. Um <sighs> so yeah, they like burst into the council room and everybody's basically oh, yeah. already yeah. Yeah, but Mako, Mako's the one who delivers the speech where he's like, it's about benders and non-benders being able to come together. Like the man attributes so much to the sport. It's not like <laughs> the, the the man is no meathead. He's not such a meathead athlete. This is a man whose feelings are out there when he's out on the court. I'm being very slightly self-satirical, but also not. I mean, <laughs> like this it means something to him. It's not just sports. He's not just sportsing hard when he's out there. Like the sport means something to him. All right. Yeah, and so they try to, basically the council is deciding on whether they want to keep the tournament open, the final tournament for the pro bending open, or close it down because Amon threatens to, for something to happen, um, that he's going to do something if they keep it open. And I always thought it was actually really surprising and kind of deep that Tarlock initially agrees with Tenzin. And mm. his reasoning being that he's not going to let the people of Republic City be in danger just so that they can play a game. And I was like, that was when I first was like, there's more to this guy, isn't there? Like, not just bad, but like, there's layers. Like, he's not just a corrupt politician. Like, he actually does care in his own strange way about Republic City and the people within it. Um, and I really love that moment. Uh but then, of course, when Chief Beifong, Lin comes in, like the badass that she is, she mm-hmm. breaks the gavel with her with her wire. I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah I, I'm um, sure you I, like. I have, I, I, have, I, have, I have water right here. I'm okay. <laughs> Thirsty. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and she's like, you know, I expected this kind of cut and run from Tenzin, but the rest of you, like, show a little backbone. And like, that's when Tart. <laughs> right. And that's when Tarlock kind of is like, he sees an opportunity to, again, gain more power in the situation. Right. And he's like, actually, hold on. Let's hear what she has to say. Like, maybe we can actually keep it open. And uh, ultimately, yes, they all convince the council to open up the arena for the final tournament. And that ends up not going so well. <laughs> yeah, well, see, and I, and I imagine he's okay. I mean, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty paper thin, but I'm assuming that his reasoning is that he, as long as he has a fall person, as long as he has a fall guy for it, like it won't be, it's not on him that it was left open. There was somebody else championing it where now if it goes badly, right. it's on them. No longer is it his decision. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it, it basically is like, that's, I think that's the only reason that he agrees to it is that, you know, he gets that kind of sinister smile when she, he's like, oh, so you'll make sure that, you know, you'll take care of everything, the security and the safety of the people, like, you'll, you'll take care of it, right? <laughs> She's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I got you. He's like, yeah. all right, never mind. I changed my vote. Boom. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, so. And then we do get to the actual tournament and, you know, it's just typical pro bending stuff. Um, but it gets interrupted by a very, this scene actually really scared me initially because I had no idea originally what the Equalists in the crowd were taking out. I thought they were bombs. I literally thought that they were going to bomb the stands. I was like, oh, I got so yeah. scared. Uh, turns, out, 
turns out that they're just electric gloves, but still. Um, and they start electrocuting all of the police officers and, you know, anybody that is standing guard at the doors. And, you know, Tenzin and Lin both end up getting electrocuted. And then Amon shows up, like the bad bitch he is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he always yeah. makes a dramatic appearance. <laughs> like every time he shows up and he usually he gets lifted onto the stage, like from underneath. And every time I think of Backstreet's back, every time. Well, especially with know? all the guys standing behind him, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what I love about his appearance there is that he not only uses the tournament uh, championship as a, you know, I mean, if you wanted to reach everybody in the city with a message, what would you do? You would interrupt the Super Bowl or the World Series, basically, and steal the microphone because you already have a pre-packaged viewer base (laughs) of just tens of millions of people, you know. Um, But but then I kind of loved also, like, (laughs) I'm going to love this for you. Um, I love that he was able to (laughs) then use the, you know, horrible, playing dirty, cheating, paying off Mm -hmm. the refs team as an example of the worst of what benders are capable of them cheating to win to use that then as a perfect metaphor for what he's trying to accomplish he's going to cleanse them because the benders are a bunch of dirty cheaters who take advantage of the system Mm -hmm. yeah it only seems appropriate that you was celebrate those who bullied and cheated their way to the victory. I'm like, hell yeah, read them for filth, right? on. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He he, he makes a <laughs> compelling <him>. argument. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, and just like fucking Tano being the weasel that he is, being like, oh, I'll give you anything you want, I'll give you the money, I'll give you the championship pot, and Ma's just like, yeah, no, bye. <laughs> and then just throws him over the side, like, hell yes. And then they drop all the banners, and they're like, really, like, they decorate this whole thing, and they had, they were ready, I was like, oh my god, love the presentation. <laughs> like Megamind said, the most important thing in being a villain, presentation. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a great something great that I'm going to send to you and I I want to know if you think I should get this because I think that I should. I think I really think Hell I yes. <laughs> I bet that half the people that see that shirt are going to be like is that that V for Vendetta guy and you're basically <laughs> a yeah, sure, sure version it is. of V for Vendetta. Yeah, so the, so I just sent Amanda <laughs> sure, sure. A, a shirt that says equality, and it has Amon's face on it. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so cool. I need to get a shirt like that. <laughs> right? Okay, so I thought maybe you would also enjoy one if you didn't have one already. <laughs> so I figured I would just, you know, let you know. And it's on Public. T Public, <laughs> right. you may sponsor our podcast anytime that you like. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, so Amon gives his big, because like his his favorite thing aside from taking people's bending is monologuing. He's such a monologuer. Um, so he gives like his fifth monologue um, about how bad benders are and like how evil and corrupt they are. And all the while, you know, Cora and the gang are knocked out underneath the stands. And, um, you know, they, they basically Amon takes off in a giant airship um, and he blows up the stadium. <laughs> like the the actual field that they play the pro bending on um Mm -hmm. (laughs) domestic terrorism we love it uh (laughs) i'd love to see it 
<laughs> we love to see it. Um, and so Cora obviously has to go stop him from taking off in his airship. And I just want to say, mm. this is one of my favorite like bits of just like ice bending that I don't know if you even noticed it, but um, when Cora is like trying to go after Amon, she skids on this beautiful ice that she creates. Like yeah, it, it looks like over. snowflakes coming together. Yes. It's so pretty. It's like such a split second shop. I'm like, God, that is so pretty to look at. Um, oh, that whole sequence she, from know, like there on the whole escape is gorgeous where they get up on, she gets up onto oh, the yeah. roof and she's fighting them on oh, yeah. the glass, which like at all times I was like, just break the glass, break the glass. I'm like screaming at the screen for her to just, just break the glass under his feet. He can't fly, you know? <laughs> he can't fly. Yeah. And um, then of course you have, you you have Mommy Beifong there with, with like her Daka Ak, you know, metal arms <laughs> flying everywhere where she is like both the, you know, into the Spider-Verse Daka Ak and then she's also spider-man yes. at the same time so she's got it she's got yeah. it going both ways love her to death <laughs> yeah she's great in this episode um and yeah the this honestly is probably my favorite fight scene in this season uh the fight on top of the arena i think it is gorgeous mm. i think it's so well executed the pacing is great like you feel every blow you feel every time they hit the glass and it starts to shatter under them i'm just like oh shit and you know you feel every every action every move uh movement it is so well done the lighting and just i could gush about it for hours it's one of those fight scenes kind of like the agni kai where i'm just like this is just a perfect fight scene um, we, we really haven't taken a lot of time to sit other than just complimenting it at the start of every episode which it deserves the compliments but it's always a passing compliment what? Damn, is the animation good? It's so yeah. good. But like, it's not just like like it doesn't just look good. It moves good. If that makes sense. Like, I love the way that there's this constant thing in the fight scenes where mm -hmm. there's not just the sort of elements smashing into each other that we see a lot in avatar there's a lot of like juking and spinning and like sidestepping like uh, like using just physically evading the other person's attack is like it's so artfully done just mm -hmm. the gymnastics and the athletics evolved but i also really love during and backing up to sort of uh, cement this point in backing up to the actual um the actual tournament itself i love that one shot where he's like parrying that thing of water it's like in slow motion and it's just like going past his face mm -hmm. like it's just yep a, it's incredible you're talking about mon right uh no, no no during the the during the actual tournament itself with the teams against each other like them oh, fighting each other and the parts where they'll like block each other they'll swat the fire out of the way or they'll just parry the water as it like hits for their faces mm -hmm. i love also where he gets like uppercut the guy on the other team gets uppercut <laughs> yeah. by cora yep yeah it's it's really really good really really amazing animation and I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. This, like Legend of Korra and Arcane on Netflix are two of the most gorgeously animated shows I've ever seen, like to the to this day. Um, yeah. That obviously could change and, you know, as technology advances and all that. But so far, out of all the animated shows I've seen, and I've seen a lot of animated shows, these two are top tier, like gorgeous. They have not aged a day in terms of their animation. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's stunning. Um, and just not just the animation but the lighting and the backgrounds and just 
the everything that goes into making the show what it is uh, animation wise, it's just, it's absolutely stunning. Um, but uh, yeah, so that basically, and you know, Cora, obviously <laughs> I love the shot. This is such a cool shot. And again, it kind of, it's like, what is this guy? Like, who is this guy? Um, the shot of Cora, right as she's about to get him on, she blows this giant fireball up into the ship and he's just looking down at her and he doesn't even flinch. <laughs> he's nope, just like, he doesn't flinch at all. And, and you see that there are two blockers that get blasted backwards from this giant fireball and he does not move an inch. And I'm just like, oh my God, who is this guy? Um, uh-huh. Yeah, like I was literally convinced there are moments in the show, and we'll get to them later, where I was like, this guy's not human. There's no way he's human. He can't be. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, I was convinced he was either like a robot, like a cyborg of some kind, since technology was advancing so much, or that he was a spirit, like in a human form or something. Like, yeah. that was, the, that was, those were my guesses. But I'll just tell you right now, those are not true. <laughs> he is not a robot. <laughs> um, he's, he's not? No. <laughs> ah, there goes my there goes my robot theory hold on let me pull like right. five pages out of my notebook oh, sorry <laughs> i was gonna watch him like a half an hour human. robot tirade <laughs> All right. i was convinced that he was not human um but uh yeah i love that shot and then you know you see that we pull out from that shot after amon gets away and the entire bay which had been surrounded by boats is now on fire all the boats have been destroyed and you're just like damn <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, like, okay, I, I wanted to call BS on that, though, though, because, I mean, like, okay, we saw them take down a bunch of guards by surprise, but, like, how do you take down right. a bunch of airships and boats? Like, what? They got bombs, man. <laughs> they blew up Jeez. the thing. I, yeah, they I just guess. bombed them from the air, I guess. Jeez. I just... Yeah. <laughs> They got, they got bombs, man. That's going to be like our running thing to explain how the <laughs> villains get away with everything. How did they get away? How how did Azula escape when like four <laughs> people were shooting all the elements at her? She got bombs, man. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, so, and that's basically the episode. Amon gets away and Korra's saved and yeah, that's, that's the whole know, episode. But you know, you did want to linger on something, and we did intend on revisiting it, and as long as we've touched on it briefly here in the finale, mm-hmm. you might as well circle back, um, which is the chief of police and uh, Tenzin, the mm-hmm. two of them's relationship, because it is explored a bit more in this episode. One thing that I really liked was the scene early in the episode where she's having the whole stadium, uh, stadium checked over for the tournament, mm-hmm. and Tenzin's there asking if everything's been checked, and she turns around, snarks back at him. I've got, you know, I've checked every nook and cranny in this place. There's the whole place top to bottom. And he makes a bid, like, for them to get along, and she's just kind of like, just, you know, like old times? And he's like, yeah, like old times. And she's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll be, I'll be a little less abrasive than normal. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> you wish that was you. <laughs> I really do. I, I really do. She's a silver <laughs> fox, too. Anyway. Anywho. Yeah, no, she's Anywho. a great character. She, well-written character. Well-animated character. But well-written character. <laughs> Right. And, you know, I'm still getting over episode five, okay? Let me have this, Amanda. <laughs> Let me have this. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, no, she's, I really like Lynn. Um, I wasn't sure. 
honestly, when when the series first started in season one, I wasn't sure if I was going to like her because if you remember, you know, I love Toph, but she's my least favorite character in the main core group. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. And I was like, is this going to be another Toph scenario where like, you know, she's just kind of the hard ass, you know, the, the sly quipper, like, you know, and while she is, there's a lot more to her than that. I think that she's a much more layered character than Toph personally. Um, mm -hmm. which I was very happy about because I was seriously thinking that she was going to be exactly the same. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, by the end of the first season, I was like, no, this is, she's a really good character and she gets a ton of development, especially in season three um, where she practically becomes a main part of the gang. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that you like her so much because she is going to get a lot to, to work with later. Well and, you know, and, and stepping back, you know, from the stuff in the episode for just a moment to comment on that, you know, we've talked about, um, I feel like it's part of the experience because I wasn't there at the time, but like, mm -hmm. you can tell, as I've pointed out multiple times already, you can tell there are some earmarks in the series that they were only planning on one season. Mm -hmm. Because when you only have one season, you really have to pick and choose what you do with it. You have to right. pick which characters are going to be your dynamic characters, which ones are going to change along the way, which were going to stay basically the same. Because not every character that you introduce is going to have some fantastic character arc over mm -hmm. 20 episodes. It's just not going to happen. Right. And, uh, yeah, no, like, I really, I really am interested to see what they do with her by the end of season one. Obviously, once you get past season one, the writers can be like, oh, we have more seasons. We can do stuff we didn't think we could do with way more characters. We have lots more breathing room now. Um, and so I am interested, even though we're still quite a ways off, uh, I am also interested to see sort of that shift in the writing um, with what they're doing with the characters and what they dare to do with them in season one. And then once they get the green light to do much more to watch where maybe some character development will take off in a totally different direction or pick up more momentum. And mm -hmm. that's something really intriguing me from a writing standpoint to just observe what they do with the characters plot lines individually. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that was what I was interested in when the show was airing. Cause I was, I knew all the behind the scenes drama. I was following it on the, like the Reddit chats and everything like, mm -hmm. Oh, you know, because this was when I was first starting to really get into fandom was around this time. Um, you know, when I was first starting high school. And so mm -hmm. like, I was following this and I was like, cause of, like I said, when it first came out, um, it was announced to be a miniseries. And then suddenly like halfway through, I believe season one, they announced that there were going to be more seasons. And I'm like, wait, what, what? I thought that this was it. Like <laughs> that it was just a one-off. Um, so we were all kind of taken aback by that. And I think we all kind of had the same reaction. Like, what are they going to do? Especially when the season ended, um, like we're all like, wow, I don't really know where it's going to go from here. It's kind of, it gives me vibes of the last Jedi where if you did not see anything past Lost Jedi, you'd be like, okay, that was a pretty satisfying ending. It wraps up most of the stuff, you know. Um, what are you talking about? Last Jedi of... is the last one. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I know no, a dream you really had. Is... It ends with eight, so and I, pretty well. I do agree. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's very similar where it ends in a way that you could have stopped it there but that there are certain things that are left open-ended enough that you could, can, you know, you could explore them further in other seasons. Um, yeah. 
so yeah, it, I'm I'm curious. I, I've been saying it since we started for Legend of Korra, but I'm really curious to see what you're going to think of the ending because that is very divisive amongst Korra fans. Uh, we're here for we're here for the divisive stuff. I mean, oh yeah, we love it. <laughs> um, I will say again also that um, I I really enjoy watching the character of Korra bulldoze her way through situations because it's so <laughs> different from Aang. No, it really is. Uh, <laughs> because it is so incredibly different from Aang. We're, we're used to seeing, as we pointed out in, the, in episode one, uh, we're used to seeing somebody who's more contemplative, who takes the peaceful solution, the non-violent solution. Mm-hmm. And that's not Korra. Korra, like, she wakes up and chooses violence every single <laughs> day. Uh, yeah, and I love you know. That for her. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I do, you know. And stick it but stick to punching people and not kissing them like right. i think that's a general guideline like cora more punching less kissing like the you see do you see what we're doing this you yeah. know ah <laughs> uh, yeah so overall is was there anything else that you want to talk about for this episode or do you think we covered everything um i think we covered everything pretty well um the only other thing I do want to comment on is I I do love that this episode ends on the big cliffhanger of Amon's actions, meaning that things are literally at war now. Now the war has been kicked off. There, this is this is the Pearl Harbor of the war. Is the bombing of the arena, and mm-hmm. like it really is horrendous when you think about it. Like what has occurred there? Yeah, yeah, it's. The stakes of, and I mean, we're not even, it's crazy to think that we're not even, well, I guess it's episode six, so we are literally at the halfway point at this, was it 12? At this point in time. Yeah, it's 12 episodes. So we are mid, like literally smack dab in the middle of the season. And yeah. now, I know, I feel like we just started and we're already like. <laughs> well, we did. We did actually. <laughs> so yeah, and here we are already. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so, no, but I love yeah. I love it. I love being an escalated issue now, where it's got to move to t- tier three support. <laughs> right. I and it's a big question mark for me, like what that means. Like, what are we doing at this point? Do are we calling mm-hmm. in the Jedi Order? Is the military getting involved? Like, how do we address it at this point? And so, Maybe. you know, <laughs> is Koizilla going to arrive on the horizon and save the day again? <laughs> I don't know. What if Korra, what if Korra, like, used the power there and turned into Pabuzilla? Just the, the giant fire ferret, just, like, made of fire with her in the center. Just, like, come on now, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Maybe it'd be better than what you have in the finale, in your old divisive finale. Oh, God, no more kaiju monsters, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> I would have taken that over episode five. <laughs> well yes i would too but <laughs> just 22 minutes of Papuzilla destroying the city just yeah that's what she should that's what the episode should have been it should have <laughs> it should have been her going to him and getting rejected and immediately entering the avatar state wait, wait a minute wait a minute she hasn't entered the avatar state <laughs> she she has no. That. no, that's the. I'm surprised that took you that long to realize that. 
It's taken me three episodes of this podcast to suddenly realize this. Cora's never yeah, entered the Avatar state. And do you know why? Like, do you She's a fake why? avatar. Spit on the fake avatar. <laughs> Amon's the avatar. She's not the avatar. Amon's the avatar. Okay, <laughs> okay actually, fun fact. Um, I, I should have put this in the fun facts as well. But when when the show was first coming out, everybody was speculating about Amon. Everybody had theories. They were mm. everywhere. And the the creators, Mike and Brian, they knew that everyone was going to be speculating about Amon. So they actually leaked a fake image from one of the episodes and it revealed who Amon was. And people actually believed it. And I'm going to show you what it is. Hang on, I'm going to find it. Okay. All right. This is going to be great. All this, like, oh my it's gosh. all coming back to okay, me now. See. I'm going to find it. You're going to, like... You're going <laughs> to shit yourself it's so bad. Okay. There we go. Okay, yeah, see? There we go right there. It's like, <laughs> it's the Avatar! No, and th- people literally believe that. I'm like, okay, couple problems with this. One, yeah. Aang cannot be alive in order for Korra to be alive. So right. Aang is dead. And they're like, but what if it was like a fake cover-up? And I'm like, what <laughs> Like, people are really believing this. The image that I just sent Todd, um, for those of you that weren't there when this happened, um, I was there again, Um, It is an image of old man Aang, like, with a full-on beard, and he's old and haggard, and he's taking off the Amon mask. And they Mm -hmm. drew it and, like, animated it, lit it. Like, they made it look like an image from the show that got leaked. Mm -hmm. But it was just to throw people off the scent of, like, Mm -hmm. what what his backstory really is and who he really is. Um, yeah. And so it was just, it was a wild time to be an Avatar fan at that point. Um, but that's why I was so curious about your own theories. Cause like, like I said, they were, there were so many and I had so many. Um, and I'm sure that your idea may change as the episodes go along. Oh, I'm, um, I'm sure. Yeah. The, uh, the more information you're given, you're going to be like, wait a minute. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I, I even, I, oh my gosh, you're great. I'm going to, I'm going to put out huge Sokka energy right now. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I even, you're, you're going to know what I mean in a minute. I even sat there for a minute, like looking at his name, trying to be like, is it some sort of like weird, subtle anagram? That's like going to be super obvious. And I'm just like, I rearranged the letters of his name guys. And when you right. rearrange the letters in Amon, you get, Oh man! <laughs> I literally thought you were gonna say I am Lord Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, please don't! <laughs> oh my god! It's a clue. It's got to be a clue. It's a, it's a clue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, All you need to do next for full Sokka energy is like draw a really badly drawn picture of Amon and be like, look, guys. <laughs> No, you got to give him like a crappy name, like Scary Mask Man. <laughs> like that would be like <laughs> we're gonna call him. We're gonna call him. Call him Energy Sucker Man. Right. <laughs> oh, Sokka, you're you're such a genius, but you're terrible at coming up with names for villains and groups <laughs> and everybody. Really. Oh man. Oh, we love man. him. <laughs> well. Well. I can't wait to see what happens next on the next exciting episode of Legend of Amon. <laughs> the legendary journey <laughs> continue. <laughs> right. <laughs> the war begins. Uh, the war begins. War. 
That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.